To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? I uh, got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Scott Reekers. So you may remember Scott. He's been on a couple prior episodes, and, and he's really my my partner. He works hand-in-hand hand with me to help produce the podcast. Um, so he does most of the behind-the-scenes. Um, so it's really good to get him on the mic and put a little pressure on him. <laughs> no, he's, he's a great guy, and I really enjoy our conversations, whether we're in person or on the phone or on the mic. Um, he's got great insight and, and great experience to go with it. Uh, he hunts mostly there in Wyoming, uh, hunts with a, with a bow and with a rifle. And he's really knowledgeable about backpack hunting and and day hunting and and uh, he he's just always looking for the the right hunting system you know the same as I am so um, fun to get him on it's a lighthearted podcast we give each other some grief we've we've built a pretty strong relationship over the last couple of years so just fun to have him on mic and and talk back and forth about some gear and and uh, what he uses and what I use and have a conversation about it so um, thanks to Scott for being on the podcast. Uh, sponsor for today's show is High Mountain Seasonings. Uh, High Mountain Seasonings, they're just a great company. Um, pretty much anything for preparing or cooking meat, they have it. Uh, they, they've got tons of different jerky seasonings, which I really like. Um, they, they have all different flavors from jalapeno to... to uh, salt or uh, to uh, pepper and, and garlic and and um, teriyaki and and you name it they they must have 20 different seasoning types for jerky they've got um, pepperoni or snack sticks kits so you can make your own pepperoni they've got summer sausage and salami kits so you can make your own there uh, they they even have like burger seasoning steak seasoning they have marinades like I say, pretty much anything you need to, to cook or prepare wild game, um, they have it. So thanks to High Mountain Seasonings for the sponsorship of the podcast. And um, out there at Eastman's, boy, we're just all keeping busy. Um, I just got a project for the new backcountry issue um, of Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. So really looking forward to this one. This is going to be a great article. So really excited to get started on that and get writing on that. And um, yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna get together with the Eastman guys here um, as soon as I get back from Hawaii. Like I think um, June 18th is our date, so um, I'm, I'm gonna be together with Guy and Ike and Brandon, I believe. So um, be really fun to try to get those guys on a podcast and and uh, see what we can put together. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to it. Get together with those guys and and uh, kind of catch up and. Uh, maybe I can even talk them into playing hooky for a day and doing a little fishing since we will be in Montana. Uh, so we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, just uh, really fun things coming up. We're just going to keep working hard at the podcast, the magazine, um, uh, video and hunts. Um, just really excited at what this next year holds and, and uh, trying to, to grow with the company. So um, thanks to Eastman's for everything they do for me. Um, and with that, let's get this thing rolling. So uh, me and Scott Reekers, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here with Scott Reekers. Um, beautiful spring afternoon here, and we're inside recording a podcast. How are you, Scott? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? Good. Um, you been soaking in some sunshine? 
I, I actually was. I was on a pond on Saturday with a, a group of guys, and you know, it's a stocked pond, so I won't pretend like it was some epic adventure. But it was a stocked pond, and we all got scorched really good. And then it was it was snowing and raining on Monday, so you know, uh, springtime in the Rockies. Boy, it is. Uh, yeah, this has been a strange year. It just it hasn't. Re- we haven't really got those those warm spells yet. Um, but I hear it's coming. Yeah, by Saturday we're supposed to be up to 80, and so, of course, our, my first night, nice weekend here, I'm going to be helping my, helping my parents move. You know, so what do you do? That's, you know. <laughs> that's that's me. I have to paint my house the first nice day, calm day that I get. I've got to paint my house on the weekend <laughs> too. So I'm in there with you. That you got to get those chores done so you can free up during hunting season. Well, and but here's a here's a nice piece of reality. You know, everybody thinks it's the dream to work in the in the hunting industry. They don't realize we got to do the chores too, man. That's just all part of life. Oh, isn't it? Yep, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It is really nice to just to to have a place in the hunting industry and and be able to to go out. But it it doesn't mean that you're um, less busy than anybody else. You know, you I, you know, for me, it's still working a full-time job for you. It's working a full-time job. And then like you say, the houses, you know, they just take so much maintenance. You have to give them yeah. so much attention. Um, so yeah, it's just part of it. Part of the balance of life, I guess. Yep. Yep. Well, here's, here's a crazy part for you. Um, I, you know, I lived in, in Southwest Wyoming before I took a job here at Eastman's and, you know, just lived my first starter home. And so we had this small room in the back and my wife and I, we split it up where she got one half for kind of like crafting area. And I got the other half for like a gear room. So all of my, my backpack hunting gear was in this closet and, you know, it was really easy, nice and organized. You know, then I decided to move and, and lived in a rental for a little while here before we bought our house. And I'm still trying to get my gear room set up and we've added two kids and things like that, you know. So it's one of those like, what in the world is, is going on? Life change, you know, but it's still good to get into the gear room and mess with that. Yeah, well, uh, that's why I wanted to get you on today. I love talking gear with you. And, um, you know, we hunt with similar styles as we both love to backpack hunt for mule deer and, and we day hunt and cover miles. But um, we're just different in our needs. I'm, I'm 5'7 on a good day and um, you're 7 foot or close there, too. And, you know, we just we just have different needs for our gear. <laughs> How tall are you, Scott? Just for clarification, I'm only six foot five. Only. <laughs> yeah, um, they build you guys tall there at that Eastman's office. I always feel like the point guard when I travel with you guys. <laughs> point guard. <laughs> That's actually fitting. So, uh, um, but but we do. We have such different needs for our gear, and so it's always fun to talk to you about gear. As we have two different opinions, and we can kind of. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just have a conversation about it and, and talk about what works for you and what works for me yeah. and, and, uh, kind of give the guys, you know, what we're using in the field and what works for mm-hmm. us. So, well, and we did this a while back, but I mean, gear changes every year and, you know, we're, we're in a position where we, you know, between going to the shows and then, you know, seeing what's available and out there, we get a pretty unique unique perspective on, on what's available and then being able to talk about different guys needs, um, you know, is a, is a, is a healthy conversation, you know, and then, you know, like what you were talking about in your bear podcast where, you know, like what you use going across the river in a raft versus, 
you know, what we'll, you know, when I, I do just say an overnight backpack trip or, you know, an extended week long trip, those gear needs are all completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, different seasons. Um, yeah. Different lengths of time. Um, so, yeah, it's always changing and it's always evolving, too. Right. You're always trying to get your system to be perfect, even though yep. I, I don't think it can ever be perfect because you're always trying to cut out weight or make a change. But I think that's part of the fun of it. And and the better your gear is, just the more comfortable you are, you're out in the field and, and the more effort and time you can spend focused on hunting and so it's so important to have the right gear and and we we all remember when we first started and you had all the wrong gear uh you were sopping wet half the time you know nothing was functioning right you went too cheap on some things they were uncomfortable and so it is just an evolution throughout the years Uh to try to get the best system you can well and it's it's like i think everybody goes in heavy once and that's it (laughs) <laughs> like you realize the punishment that you really put yourself through and then it's this kind of almost like epic mindset change like you know and I'm not a guy who uses the word epic very often but I remember this is one of my I don't know I'll say my third um real backpack hunting trip because I'd done um done some that were I'll call them backpack hunting trips, but they were pretty, I guess, I'll say isolated, like not, you know, not like that that long, you know, long, long term type of trip. And so this was my first one where weight really, 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 really mattered. And I did not cut it well. I packed the kitchen sink and plus I had a pack that didn't have functional shoulder lift for me. And, and I killed a 170 mule deer buck on that trip. And that was miserable, like getting it out and realizing that your pack weighed about 125 pounds, you know, and I had, I had split a lot of the meat with my buddy who was a much at the time, he was a much more proficient, um, backpack hunter than I was, you know, like I was 120 pounds and the meat was split. You know, you do the math on how that worked out. <laughs> That's so, a big deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big body deer, but it was like, but the amount of gear I had was just ridiculous. Like, yeah, I I completely hear you. I I started backpack hunting uh, with my dad and his brothers, and they had no knowledge of backpacking. It was just yeah. done out of necessity in the Pacific Northwest to get back to these good elk and blacktail spots. But we knew nothing. The old pack frames, you know, and we went in there, and um, I'm pretty sure we packed in cans of Coke to drink from. We didn't even drink water in there. <laughs> cans of Coke and Ho-Hos and Twinkies and just whatever you could throw in your pack. And that was kind of my, my my learning experience when I was young. And it was really fun and I enjoyed it, you know, and, and um, going back in there. And then as I started getting to Montana and these western states and backpacking more, like you, you know, I went in one time too heavy. I remember I bought an egg container at this backpacking store. And so I brought in eggs and bacon and... I just, I had way too much stuff. I had to be 70 pounds and I, I dang near killed myself trying to get in there. And so you get a minimalist mindset, but that never changes. You still lay out everything from your pack every time you come back and try to figure out how you can make it lighter because you just realize that every pound on your back makes a difference in the exertion that you have to give to get back to that, that good quality country and live back there. And it's kind of ironic. I've gotten to this point now, like, you know, I'll, your backpack's going to weigh something, so it's a starting point. So the first thing that I usually do 
is I start looking at all the different straps that are on there. And there are some minimalist ones out there now that you can get, but I start looking at all the straps, start trimming them up and figuring out where I can, you know, cut some weight there. Um, for instance, I was using the, um, the big top pack from Everlay stock this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've cut, I've cut weight off of, off of it. Um, different guys have different needs, but I know how much of that, um, you know, the straps there that I need. And, and that's, but I know that a lot of these packs also get built with extra of that on there on purpose. And so you can, you can cut those down. And so that's one place, but ounces add up, you know, that's just one place that I figured out that I can do that. Um, you know, but it's just, that's a mentality, you know, learning that, man, you can, you can adjust some of this and it doesn't hurt you, you know? I, I thought I was the only one that did that. That's crazy. Yeah, I um I love to trim up packs, and they're just made with so many accessory pockets and straps, mm-hmm. and they're made, you know, to to operate and function correctly. But I'm the yeah. same way where I start cutting things, you know, little bit little bit of straps here, and I I will like to keep the you know like the three main straps that go yeah. all the way across the pack. I like to keep yeah. those ones long so I can stretch over you know anything that I have to strap on my pack. But you're right, you can cut a lot of those things down, and and, and two yeah you can go through it and and cut some buckles and some netting out and some different things as well to get it to a lightweight pack but i i like to start with a lightweight pack but in the same breath like i've gone too light where that pack is not comfortable and not durable and so it's like this fine line between durability and weight that i'm trying to find i've been using that um that little big top, I've been really liking that pack. It's one of their lighter weight packs, um, but it seems to pack the weight good for me. And and it's you know it's right around five pounds, which is what you know it's what a pack should be for an extended duration hunt. You, yeah. you know somewhere that's where I like them to be. Now the the six and seven and eight pound packs will pack that weight a little bit better, but I like to cut back just a little bit. Um, which which pack have you been using? I, you know, I've done um, several trips now with with the big top, not the, um, you know, not the little big top which attaches to the to the mainframe, but I've done a lot with the the big top. I am a I'm a fan of the roll top. Um, it's the combination of being able to use that roll top and cinch it down, and then also having that big compartment at the bottom. So I use that a lot. In fact, I've got a got a blog up where I, I covered some of my basic stuff. I didn't go in depth like what Brandon did with his, um, we called it the OCD, the ounce counting document. Um, I've got a link on the blog to it. You know, we can include that in the description to this, to this podcast, but like that big top that I used, you know, is I've, I've hauled quite a bit of weight in it. Um, I've put, um, you know, put elk in there and it's, it's done really well for me. Um, and I, and I, and I like it in that as, as being a tall guy, it's got the frame length to give me functional shoulder lift. And so, you know, for anyone over six, two or six, three, it can be a challenge to find packs that have that and it be, be very functional. And so, you know, but also having the space in there to be able to haul meat, um, that's a, you know, that's a, a game changer that right there. And so I, I have to have that in a pack enough space to be able to haul meat on the first trip out for sure. And then sometimes depending on what you're doing, being able to get the, you know, get the whole thing out. Like say you're hunting mule deer, if you bone out a mule deer, you can get the whole thing out if you, um, if you work at it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the whole thing out and you can make two trips or, you know, I've even got the whole deer out and my camp one heavy load out. Um, but you're right. The pack has to function correctly. And you're, you're talking about those load lifters that are on your shoulders that they pull the load into your shoulders, but they also pull the weight off your shoulders. Yeah. You want to be able to get that weight on your hips. And for me, when I'm doing um, a lot of miles, I like to put the weight back and forth as I'm going uphill. I like to get the weight off my hips a little bit as it seems to rub yeah. on my hips and I need to stride longer. And as I'm going downhill or even terrain, I like to have that weight on my hips, but I like to be able to kind of shift it back and forth and change the ratio. That way, mm -hmm. my shoulders don't get super sore or my hips don't get super yep. sore. I can kind of move that weight around. Do you do that as well? I'm, you know, I I strive for 80 20, um, 80 percent of the weight on my hips and about 20 sitting on your shoulder because that's pretty natural is what I feel like. Um, and so I'll, you know, but obviously when you, you know, elevation changes, it's going to sit different because your body's just in a different position. So I'm constantly adjusting how, you know, how my straps fit or how they feel or, you know, what they're doing. And so that's, you know, it's pretty important, I feel like, to be able to adjust, you know, where the weight is sitting depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, I... Honestly, I've never thought about it like a formula like what you did. Now you've got me thinking about <laughs> thinking about what what exactly I do depending on what I'm climbing or going down. But um, I definitely do adjust depending on the you know the circumstances. When I'm when I'm going uphill, I don't like it to be pulling me backwards, obviously, and so I'll probably pull that that top end um, down a little bit, right on, you know, where the, like that functional shoulder lift, I'll pull on those straps up there and pull it down a little bit closer and then, then loosen up a little bit too. Um, when I, you know, when I, when I start heading downhill, I'll get, get a little more cause you know, like, you know how bad your thighs burn when you're going downhill with heavy weight. Yes. It's, it's, it's a complete different, um, different set of circumstances on how you want to balance out. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, hamstrings and butt going up, and then um, your quads going down. You just get on fire. Yeah, that's a. Uh that's that's part of the balance. Well, in every load, it's different in the pack too. And so every time you put on your pack, you you readjust it. You know, get your hip belt yeah. set, and then get your shoulder strap length set, and then um, I like to suck it into my hips and then suck the load lifters down. Yeah. And so every load rides a little bit different. But there's nothing worse than than trying to pack in you know five six miles and your straps are uneven or aren't fitting right, or you have your pack set for the last load you had in it. That's the yeah. worst. Yeah, and and like you know, it's it's funny, you know, like when you're when you're thinking in terms of meat, you know, like a boned out elk quarter, and I, you know, depending on who I'm with, Brandon's like the perfect hunting partner because he'll break down your entire elk for you. Like he actually like thoroughly enjoys it. Like I'll be honest, I'm not a guy who just absolutely loves breaking down an animal. I'm more a okay, let's get this done and start the misery. And so a lot of times, instead of breaking it up into sections of meat, like say a rear quarter, I'll keep the whole rear elk quarter together, just run it straight down the middle. Kind of like what Dan Picard showed on our video on YouTube. Um, I do real similar to what he does and follow along the bone and keep it as one big piece of meat. It's, it's about as close as you can get it. You know, the comfort level you have with a, a full elk quarter that's bone in, you know, as far as managing and strapping it down, it's about as close as you can get to that without the weight of the bone. And so I'll try and get that really close to my back inside the pack. And 
every elk obviously is going to weigh a little bit different, but then just that difference of one full rear quarter versus say like a, a front shoulder and a rear quarter boned out of a mule deer, those are going to be completely different weights and the way they sit in there, it's going to be completely different. So it's never, you know, it's never a one size fits all. And so that's, you know, adjusting it, but then also not being afraid to, if it's not comfortable, stop and adjust where the meat is sitting um, inside the pack. Because a lot of guys don't do that. They'll, they'll just keep going at like, it's that tough guy mentality. Um, I quit being tough a few years ago because I realized I was going to be a lot older than I was tough. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah, you're right. The way you load your pack makes such a difference and readjusting if it doesn't sit right. And you, the heaviest weights need to be as close to your back as possible and also as low as possible, I find, you know, or that's what I like. Um, but yeah, as close to the back. And, and also that's something to remember when you're, when you're packing in to go in for a seven, eight, nine day backpack hunt is to load that heaviest stuff right close to your back and then the lighter stuff, um, out a little bit and, I, I go sleeping bag low, I guess, and then mm -hmm. I go water and heavy stuff tight to my back, and then clothing or any bulky items will go as far away from my back. And what you're trying to get is your load to, to be in line with your back and as close as yep. possible so it's not pulling you backwards like you were describing. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, that's actually, you know, if, you know, getting your load light for a pack in is actually a safety thing almost, you know, like, cause I think a couple of the spots in region G and H that I've climbed up, um, region G and H are deceptive steep in a lot of places. You see this green hillside that, you know, big mule deer buck is living on and you think, Oh man, that's covered in grass, you know? So with it being covered in grass, you're like, Oh, that can't be that steep. And then you start climbing it and then you realize you got all that, that forage that they eat that's a little more leafy than say that primetime elk country than like what's up here by this cody region and it's a lot slicker you know because there's a lot more moisture inside that and the last thing you need is a heavy pack pulling you backwards um especially on your way in when you, if you overpack and don't have it adjusted and sitting right and you know i do you ever find that you know you can overpack on water. Um, yes. Um, I, you know, okay. Can I overpack on water? I can never have enough water. So, um, so no, I can't pack enough water, but in that same breath, like I always try to plan where I'm going to get my water. I try to fill up at that last lake at the top and I try to pack just enough water to get me in there, you know, and then I'll make a water run or live. But I mean, you're right. I can't pack enough water, but in that same breath, like it's so heavy that I want to pack as little as possible that I can still survive and hunt yeah. effectively. And I'm, I typically, you know, like on a normal day when I'm not, you know, not working out, not hunting, I drink about a gallon a day, you know, three, um, three to three and a half Nalgene's worth usually. And so that's not going to change when I'm back there. So I use like these giant, um, these giant uh, MSR drone dairy bags. But one of the, like, sometimes you can fill up too early. Um, I used to do that. That's a lesson that I learned. And I guess that's probably what I'm, you know, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that I've filled up way too low and packed water for way too long and then found a spring literally 300 yards from the camp. 
you know? <laughs> and so it's misery. And so I guess that's the purpose of scouting. So, you know, your first trip in, obviously you're going to carry more water than you probably otherwise would. Um, but um, all in the same breath, you know, you don't want to carry too much because that water is a ton of weight. Um, but dropping a thousand feet stinks to go get water. But sometimes you just have to. You don't have a choice, really. Yeah, it's either go grab water or go back to your truck and in the hunt. Like you've got to go get it, you know, mm-hmm. and fill up. But, yeah, I like those water bags you're talking about. I usually um, – I don't bring as much um, water capacity as you like with those water bags but that would be nice for filling up your water and making one trip but I, I usually do like a 100 ounce bladder and mm-hmm. a couple Nalgene's about 160 ounces and usually that'll get me you know, I don't use quite as much water usually that'll get me like 3 days and so yeah. I'll, I'll try to fill up and go with that but it's not a bad idea so those, um, those water containers you're talking about they don't weigh hardly anything and that's what I did I switched from Having, I, I started looking at what I was carrying. I had two bladders at the time. One was a three liter, um, and then one was one was a two liter. And I used one for drinking that went with me in my day pack, and one stayed back at camp. And then I realized the amount that I was drinking. If I were to do just a lightweight Nalgene and just fill it up as I had opportunities um, in the back country, because like say you find a spring as you're going to your glassing point, or just some different things like that. But generally, a, you know. Once I get my base camp set up, I don't um, I don't leave until it's it'd be a point where I'm going to be getting water anyway. If that makes sense, like being mobile is incredibly important. But just like being able to, you know, if I have that five liters sitting there, um, like that's plenty of water, and I'm usually not far enough away. Um, I'm not the type of guy who packs up my entire camp every morning. Um, just because usually I've scouted an area, so I know what's in the area. Um, but that's, you know, the advantage of being a, a you know, a, a local, um, especially like in a region G and H, but with, um, you know, out of state hunts, I can see where that would be a problem where you'd, you know, kind of want to split up and carry a little bit more with you because you don't know the area as well. Yeah, but I I do it a lot like you where um, I go in and I kind of focus on an area, you know, and while I'm focused on that area, I find the most effective camp. And sometimes I'll move that, you know, to be closer to a vantage point or closer to the deer. But I'm with you. I set up little base camps and then I live out of them and I hunt. And then, you know, when it's time to move on or I'm not finding animals, then I will pack up my camp and go for another day back or move it. But, But I'm like you where, you know, I don't. I don't put my pack on my back every single day and hunt with my pack on my back. Like I find a good area that, that animals are living and then I kind of focus on that area. So I like to run like a little base camp like you and I, I, I am mobile that I can move every day if I need to or every couple days, but I like that little base camp setup like you're talking where you got your water and, and you have all your stuff and you're not packing like a, an immense amount of weight all over mm-hmm. the mountainside. So I've got a funny story for you. I don't remember whether I even told you this one um, since we're talking about camps um, and we can get into, we can probably get get us into tents. But so Brandon and I are elk hunting. We're doing this archery elk hunt. Ike actually packed us in on horses and our plan was, um, you know, save us, you know, save us some energy, get us packed in and, and then we would live there. And then if we didn't kill anything, we just walk out. Well, if we did kill something, I had a buddy lined up who had, had horses because Ike was actually down at the, um, you know, for the hunt winners hunts down in Colorado. And so he wasn't going to be able to come and get us. So 
we're laying there um and it's the night before the opener of rifle because we had come in prepared for both seasons basically and like i had missed a bull that day with my bow like shot right underneath him and so i was already feeling you know feeling kind of bad think man I'm, i missed a six by six and we're laying there in the tent and they're elk kind of bugling around us it's the morning opener before rifle you know so they're still going like crazy because it's an early rifle opener and we're getting kind of excited we're laying there and i've got this little box stove a um, little titanium box stove going and you know we're thinking we could be waking up to some snow in the morning that's kind of what the forecast was saying and Brandon says, man, what's that that's burning? Like, what's that smell? And I looked down, and my sleeping bag had hit the box stove. Oh, no. <laughs> so there's down, like, starting to float inside this tent, and we quick pull it away, and I look, and there's, I don't know, it's probably a softball-sized hole at this point, but it's right down by the foot box. And so I was able to roll it up and Brandon had duct tape and we duct taped it up pretty good, you know, so I, I'm sure I look like a, um, I don't know, I'll call it ragamuffin hillbilly, something like that with my sleeping bag now. And so obviously, you know, now that I prefer down sleeping bags, um, you know, but it's one of those frustrating things that I did that, you know, but it was a, it was a floorless shelter that we were using with the, um, with the um with that box stove and it was really nice because it was big enough for both of us but we were able to be mobile but this is like grizzly bear country so we obviously we didn't want to separate and be doing different you know different camps away from each other but yeah so that's a good story you know happens to the best of us you can everybody can break deer yeah i hear you chuckling i'm sure that's you know, entertaining <laughs> for you. So. no it's not that we've all been through it we've all like i haven't burnt my sleeping bag but i've definitely burnt gloves and boots and you name oh, it yeah. like being too close to the fire so yeah it's um and especially like in a in a floorless shelter like that two guys mm-hmm. in one shelter you're trying to work out you know your your distance and your little area where you can set and dry out your gear and your and your sleeping bag so i could just picture it as you were talking about about it and then all of a sudden your foot box of your sleeping bag is touching the stove that's horrible man that's well while we're you know while we're making fun of scott we may as well tell this story too but i'm sure everyone will enjoy listening to this i think this was 2011 that i did this i had just bought this brand new thermarest pad and like i had the pad that I had been using before was one that had kind of a felt layer over the top of it. So it wasn't a problem to set like warm, like warm, um, you know, like I had a just this little canister that I used for cooking on top of, on top of the Primus stove that I had. And so it was a nice little lightweight setup, but with that felt pad, I could just set it right on, get where I'm going with this. And so change out this new pad is lighter you know that whole idea of you're constantly improving and so got this new lighter pad supposed to have better r rating than my old one so i'm super excited i got one night on it and then of course you know like out of habit um you know and we're we're in like six inches of snow that we had cleared out because we had gotten one of those um, october first snowstorms and this is on this is on a mule deer hunt i'd already killed my deer that year but i was taking a buddy up to a different spot and of course i set my my pot down on my new new mat and i burned about three holes in it so that was super awesome (laughs) you know like it's it's a pad that had some foam in it so there's still some insulation value on there um 
And I am here to tell you that super glue does not work. Um, make sure that you get um, hot bond from Thermarest and carry that in your pack because that stuff works wonders. You can do that inside your your, your stove, but you know, just let me be the one that uh, you know made the stupid move, and you can test that out or don't test that out. Just trust me. You know, yeah, right. You have that stuff with you. So. I trust you for sure. Hey, uh, Scott, would you do me a favor? I think that mic is maybe rubbing on your collar. I'm just getting a little scratch there. Getting a little scratch. Is this better? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah. Burning holes and stuff is never fun, and they don't give that backpacking gear away too. It's pretty pricey. But um, so I I used to carry super glue as my patch kit, and you're saying that you you actually need the patch kit from Thermarest or what did you call it? You needed. It's called hot bond. And hot so what bond. you do is you like take your jet boil and get some water going, and you throw it in there, and it's like industrial level adhesive that you can use on just about any hole so you know bring the patch along that they give you um, on most of these kits now and hot bond works wonders um, as far as being able to patch holes and and how much it'll hold that air so it's pretty fantastic i would really recommend using that stuff it's it's good stuff to have along i've used that on um, more than one occasion i have also used the Thermarest patch kits and the patch glue that they send along. Um, obviously, so now you know I use I use a Thermarest uh, three season Neo Air, and that's what I've used for a lot of years in the, the extra long. And so it it works really well. I've done that quite a bit. I've had you know I've had little holes show up um, inside that thing, and it doesn't you know doesn't matter how well you take care of it. At some point, you will poke it. You know, it's just the nature of it. Even inside a floored tent, you can have a stick come through that you just didn't even see or some of that sage at 9,500 feet. You know, you won't even see it when you're, you know, getting the getting the stuff cleared on where you're planning to lay down. It just happens. It's part of it. Yes. Oh, and there's nothing worse than a flat pad, too. Yeah, I use the... uh... Uh, thinking about it, I, I wish I could remember the name of it, but you can get it at any fly fishing place. It's a wader okay. patch, like uh, mm-hmm. comes out like um, almost like a sticky glue that you put on there. And a lot of times I'll pack that with me. But yeah, there is nothing worse than having a flat air mattress. But it seems like the blow up ones are the most efficient mattresses to use. Like I, I use the foam panels when I, or the the foam mattresses when I first started, and they just don't offer enough uh, R value, and they're not comfortable enough. And that's yeah. one place where I'll pack just a little bit more weight because if I don't, you know, I I wake up and my shoulders hurt or my hips hurt or get sore spots, and I'll wake up ten times in the night, you know, to where if I just have a a comfortable mattress, it seems like I get a better night's sleep makes a huge difference sleep good sleep improves hunting i mean it's just you know it's just a necessary piece of it and you know not to mention that you know most adults need between six and eight hours of sleep to be functional well when you're in, you know when you're in the back country burning extra calories you're going to need more more sleep than normal and it's you know it's easier to do you're not going to sit and veg out in front of the tv till 10 30 at night um so it makes life a little bit, a little bit easier to get get sleep in that regard. You're ready to go to bed sometimes by eight thirty nine because you're just that tired. And so you know nothing's more deflating than finding out that your mattress is not holding air the way that it should be, or that you know one of your 
one of the um, one of the tubes inside your down sleeping bag is losing, you know, because you got a hole. So having the ability to to patch those things, you know, like duct tape or you know the super glue for the pad makes a huge difference. But it's you know luck favors the prepared, and there's a lot of things that I can you know live without, but good sleep systems not one of them. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. So you're using the Neo Air 3 season. That's got an R rating of like an R5 or something, doesn't it? I think so. Um, yep. And I've used I've used two of them lately. I covered it in the gear lab a while back. And well, actually, in fact, we're talking about um, some new um, blog material where we're going to cover a few things. And um, I'm hoping that we can dig into, you know, dig into a few of these pieces, but stay tuned for that. It, it should be a pretty good series um, on on some of the pieces that, you know, it's the stuff that guys on our forum are talking about all the time and asking, hey, what do you guys use on this? Because, you know, like we talk about the hunting gear all the time on a regular basis, but a lot of times some of this niche stuff, you only learn from experience and it's not necessarily something that's always going to end up end up in the journal as one of these diehard things that, um, you know, that's your, that you typically think of when you think of Western hunting, but now with backpack hunting becoming as popular as it has, you know, that's, that stuff's pretty necessary. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you, you said something there, Scott, that I just wanted to touch on. You said, uh, you use two of them. Do you pack two air mattresses and use them? Is that what you were saying? No, no, no. I've got, um, (laughs) I'm not that much of a glutton for punishment. Um, Although I do know some guys will use those foam um, thermarests, and then they'll also bring like an airtight pad. I've never done that before, but I've seen that done. Um, but I, I've never done it. Just I, I'm not sure what the you know what the logic is. Um, but I know some guys do do that. But I'll have a I've got a four season pad that I'll use. Um, and this one will be a combination of like the, the really late season hunts where I'm where I'm truck camping or an overnighter that's really uh, can be colder. Um, or I'll use that three season one when I want to be a little lighter. But the three season is really it really gets about 90 percent of the use. But the four season is just those those really cold nights when I know it, you know, it can get rough. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's why I was asking as I use, um, two mattresses, but only never when I'm backpacking, like always when I'm truck camping or sleeping in the back of the truck or late season hunts. And it, it just seems like I can keep warmer when it's getting down to around zero or below. Um, and so I'll, I'll double up my mattress anytime I sleep in my truck or close to the truck there. But yeah, when you're backpacking, uh, it's only one mattress goes with you for sure. Well, and I think you've got, you know, one of the things that you've got as far as those late season goes to consider that I usually don't have to deal with is Montana's general um, elk seasons run later. And even your archery seasons run later than here in Wyoming. We're pretty much wrapped up by September or by September 31st for most archery seasons. So, you know, it's one of those, one of those things where you've got a little bit more to consider with some of the later seasons. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, November mule deer rutting and then, you know, even December in Idaho. So yeah, it gets pretty cold. 
Um, but yeah, uh, doubling up your mattress works good when it's when it's really cold out. And also, I double up my sleeping bag too if it's going to get extremely cold. But yeah, I I use um, for my mattress. I've been using a Sea to Summit uh, Comfort Plus. Um, mm-hmm. I picked it up and I really like it. It's really comfortable. It's got two different air chambers on either side. It, it's really neat. You know how you spend so much time trying to get the air out of your air mattress, uh, like yeah. getting your knees on it and trying to get the air out. These have quick release valves that you pop off and all the air is out of it instantly. Um, it's pretty that handy, cool. really. That's cool. I'm, I've not messed with one of them yet, but you know, gives me a reason to reason to look at that. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's a good mattress for me. It's been doing good. And then as far as sleeping bags, um, so we touched on it a little bit. So you're a down guy. I'm also a down guy, although I think I'm starting to switch to the dark side a little bit. I just wanted to talk to you about it. Like I, I'm getting in, um, in wetter conditions that down – um, and they do have the treated down and, mm-hmm. and mine does have like a, a kind of not a waterproof finish, but a water resistant finish, yeah. which is nice. But I just noticed like during these downpours or during, um, you know, rainy conditions or even cold, like I'm getting a lot of condensation, you know, and, and you deal with condensation in your tent and you try to get airflow through it. But I, I just um, you get those down wet and they just don't hold their insulating value. And so. For some of these hunts, like I'm almost considering getting a synthetic bag if I know I'm going to be hunting in a snowstorm. I've I've been been using and call me old school, but like you know, I had this down um, sleeping bag and I can't even remember the brand, but like when I my parents found it on sale, and this this tells you how how long ago this was. This was in high school, and. It, they found it at Gart Sports, which is like no longer in existence. But they find this um, sleeping bag and got it on clearance because it was a it's a left zip instead of right, so nobody wanted it. So they get it on clearance. It's a zero degree bag, and I, I fell in love with down at that point. However, what I learned with that old um, sleeping bag was that I really wanted to have um, some type of breathable layer on it. So when I and I made a switch. Um, I've been using the last few years this Western Mountaineering Badger um, MF because it's got a layer on the outside that that breathes really well. And some of you know some of the sleeping bags out there now actually you know the down bags actually have have gore um, materials, and that makes them really breathable. Which um, without the treatment, one of the 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 treated down i'll be honest i haven't used it a lot um, but i'm pretty sure that brandon and ike have both used um, some treated down and some I, I believe it was a big agnes that they used and that that system's worked um very well um but i'll say this brandon kind of switched to the dark side too and he's been using a um a synthetic um, doobie for the last few years. It's that, you know, the military calls them movies or a poncho liner, but he's got one that's double insulation and he's been using that for a, a few years now. And he actually really likes it. And it's a pretty lightweight option that he's, he's developed and, and worked with. So, you know, I'm, I am kind of seeing the value in the synthetic and that when it gets wet, um, it's, it's going to perform very well, and and it's not that a lot of these new down options don't, but you're, it's always in the back of your mind that it could. And if you're prepared, you're usually okay. But you know, what if you uh, 
what if you take a tumble into the creek? You know, that that's reality. It could happen. And that, you know, it doesn't matter how much, um, you know, it doesn't matter how good anything is. You're still going to get wet and you still need your gear to perform. And so, you know, that could happen to down no matter, no matter what. Yeah. And, and down is definitely the, the, the most efficient, you know, you, you get the best bang for your buck. You get the, the warmest, um, the, the warmest, heat ratio to weight ratio with the down and so i've always been a down guy too but you kind of got to learn how to be a down guy too so like you say you know inside your pack if it starts raining it can get that that uh your sleeping bag wet and so like keeping it in a dry bag inside your pack Mm -hmm. every day when you leave your tent putting your your down back in your dry bag or making sure it's in a good place where the condensation doesn't run down or like using a lot of these shelters you know a lot of the floorless shelters or even the floored shelters they can blow over in the middle of the day during a rainstorm (laughs) or something or a squall and get your bag wet and so i've been through all these scenarios where you kind of learn how to be a down guy and keep your stuff dry all the time because your life depends on it you're hunting depends on it you know if your bag gets wet you have no choice but to either dry it out or hike out and so you get to learn to be a down guy and i think i am a down guy it's gonna it's gonna take a lot for me to switch but i think i i think i could have a synthetic bag that i would use when i'm going in to hunt someplace where i know it's gonna be really wet or i know i'm gonna be in a snowstorm yeah and i i can also see how you know especially for you know, I've got a, a Yukon that I use. And so when I'm doing these late season hunts that aren't necessarily your backpack type hunts, I'm thinking of one elk hunt in particular that I've got where I actually wait for the snow to hit. And I go, I'll usually go during the snowstorm to be there for that last couple hours of snow and then hit it when, um, when it's just starting to clear, like even, even when it's still blowing sideways, but I'll sleep in the back of the Yukon and that can get cold some nights. And I'm not, I'm too cheap to let the um, let the gas run all night long, <laughs> and so I'll actually, you know, like having a having a synthetic bag there um, wouldn't be bad because one of the things I, I don't know that I that I just love about down is how small it packs down, and so I don't feel like synthetic packs down as well as down does, um, but that's just a, a personal preference and maybe that's also my bias, but you know for for using out of a out of a run and gun truck system. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to use it there. Cause quite honestly, I'm not worried about bulk at that point either. Yeah, it makes sense. I think you're right. They don't pack up as small. Um, lately I've been using, I have like a, you, you, you get to be a gear guy when you're a backpack hunter. Well, a sleeping bag there, depending on the season, you need a different bag. And if, if you can only have one bag, you know, you have to get one that'll accommodate mm-hmm. for the coldest temperatures you hunt. But that means you're packing way too much weight in yeah. on your early season hunts. And so I've got three bags I've used. I, I use one that's a 30 degree bag that's a cheapie I picked up that's a goose down. It's about a pound. And I, I just use that. Like I noticed the sleeping bag ratings are usually about 15 degrees off. If you buy a zero degree, you're probably comfortable to about 15 degrees, and then you're going to start being cold. You'll survive, but you're going to be cold. Um, and you yeah. can also cheat that a little bit by wearing some clothes to bed, you know, shoving your puffball jacket down in your footbed. Um, so, so you can cheat that rating a little bit, but as a rough guideline, I like to use um, 15 degrees as my comfort level above their rating. And so I've got this 30-degree bag. I only use it summertime. 
time or extremely early hunts like in August. And then yeah. my go-to is this Marmot uh, 15 degree. So the Marmot 15 degree, you know, goes to 30 degree, you're comfortable. So I use that and I'll push it to about like high 20s right in there and, and make mm-hmm. that bag work. And then I have a, a zero degree that I'll use. And if it's colder than zero, then I'll double up my bags. And usually if it's colder than zero and I, I'm camping, I'm usually truck camping or close to a vehicle yeah. where I can have two two bags. But that's kind of the, yep. the system I run for sleeping bags all all down right now. I haven't added a synthetic to the lineup, but it may be coming. I I can see I can see a space for it. Now that brings you said something about the the you called it the puffball jacket. What are you using? Oh, I'm I'm using that uh, Sitka. Um, what do they call their jacket? I always call them puffball jackets because I've been calling them for years. But um, uh, do you remember what that's called? So I've got. And there's a couple different variations, and I don't remember which one you, know, you ordered. I may have actually sent it to you because um, Brandon was out this last year when we did our uh, did all of our Sitka stuff. Um, so I've got the Kelvin Down hoodie, um, which is the really big one. Then I've got a Kelvin Light Down hoodie, and then I've got the Kelvin Active jacket. That's the one that they, they came out with this last year, and all three have their place. Um, but that Kelvin down hoodie, that big thick one has been my favorite, but is that the, the one you're thinking of? Okay. I think I have the Kelvin light hoodie, I think is, is the really? one I'm running. Yeah. I couldn't remember Kelvin, what they called it there, but yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. I've always been a huge fan of puffball jackets the last 12 or 15 years. I can't tell mm-hmm. you how many of those things I've owned working outside and recreating outside. Um, those things are just an absolute lifesaver. Oh, yeah. I, I, like actually this year I tried something on my mule deer hunt um, just because I wanted to try it. I brought the Kelvin um, vest because Selvin or Sitka's uh, synthetic vest along and I brought the Kelvin active jacket because it's supposed to be raining and so therefore you got the humidity and so I was like, eh, I want a little insulation but with this active jacket, I'm gonna try it you know and see how it see how it worked. I really liked that thing for what I was what I was using it for for the insulation value that it had. But one of the one of the things that you fight with with your insulation layers on on top is that you can start sweating, um, especially like with that sick. I, I love that sick uh, down hoodie, um, the heavyweight one for um, for glassing. Like when you're sitting there at the top of a ridge and you're just getting windswept, put that thing on and you're fine. Um, but for moving around where it's a little, you know, a little chilly sometimes in the morning or when you're hiking to your glassing spot, that Kelvin active jacket was awesome. And I know the guys who bow hunt, um, in the office here, they liked it. Did you get that one? No, I haven't got that one, but I, I like oh. the sounds of it because you can't hike anywhere in a down jacket. Like you just start sweating yep. and all of a sudden you're soaked. So those down jackets are only for wearing around camp or on the vantage point yep. or when you're sitting still or slowed down. I mean, if it's extremely cold, you can wear it hiking, but that's really yeah. the only time. So yeah, I like that Kelvin active jacket. I haven't looked at that one. I'll have to check it out. That that one became kind of a kind of a favorite around here, and I really personally I really enjoyed it. It's kind of one of my you know one of my favorites from this last year, and I you know I really enjoyed the place that it has now in my um, you know in my in my gear closet. 
I will also admit that it's a jacket that I've worn quite a bit um, during the during the spring and around the you know around the house doing um, well not around the house around the outside of the house you know with those active chores. So it's one of those you know like that piece of gear that you just keep finding yourself reaching for all the time. That's almost what defines your favorite stuff um, over the course of time. Cause I know a lot of guys change out their gear constantly, but it's a lot of times it's defined by what do you just keep reaching for? Because it's a comfort level. Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's me too. Like you say, working around the house or working outside on the construction site, whether I'm fishing or hiking or trail running or whatever it is. Yeah. You start to find your favorite pieces of gear and those are the gear that you reach for the most and, and that, that fit your needs, you know, during the, that weather that you're, that you're encountering. But I'm with you. The one thing that I added this year, uh, that I absolutely love that I've wanted to add for years is their, um, Kelvin pants, puffball pants. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh my God, are those things a dream to put on? Especially for the late season, mm-hmm. you can't sit in glass because your legs yeah. get so cold. And so you zip those over your pants. They're built as light as like the the insulating jackets, and your insulating layers are built fairly light. And uh, so I find myself throwing that in my pack more often just because Mm. I can sit on the vantage point or around camp and and I can keep myself warm by zipping on those pants. So I've fallen in love with those. And if you fish too, like in your waders for wintertime fishing or for like uh, I go steelheading like uh, in the Olympic Peninsula where it rains and is 35 degrees every day. Oh, those Kelvin pants are a dream to wear. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I've. I've never been able to jump on the idea of insulated pants. And I think my fear has always been that it'd be too easy for me to start sweating. Um, so usually when, when I get, get a little colder, my feet get windswept, I'll pull on the rain, rain pants. And just cause that does one, um, you know, one extra layer of wind protection and rain gear generally, because of just the nature of, uh, of rain gear it holds in a lot of heat and so that's just what i've used kind of like the same purpose but i you know well again especially like you know with the way you mule deer hunt those late season um, tags in montana i can see the reason for it though yeah um no that seems like a good solution as well yeah the the because rain gear doesn't breathe that well and so you keep it traps all your heat in there so that makes sense to me as well um, I haven't, um, I usually don't pack rain gear with me, uh, at least pants, usually just a jacket and I run quick dry pants and I seem to get away with it. And I, I have a pair of rain pants and I just always leave them out. It seems like the only time I use them is like hunting elk. If I know it's going to be raining all day or bears, if I know it's going to be raining all day, then I'll wear them out and about, but I hardly ever pack them with me, but that's a good idea. <laughs> And I'll be honest, my my least used piece of you know piece of clothing that goes with me everywhere is my rain pants, and I've done it in the past. Um, and like with you know with Sitka timber lines with the you know with the the seat that is that is waterproof and the knees that are waterproof, like okay maybe there's a little bit of redundancy, but it's just one of those, one of those things that, you know, a comfort level, I guess, I guess I'm willing to, to pay the, pay the price to have those along. And I've used it enough for long sits where it's actually functioned um, really well as a, 
as a for breaking the wind, you know, as it runs across my legs and then B there's a, there is an insulation value to it because of just the way the nature of rain gear. And so, you know, I, but I, I will admit that it is the, the, by percentage, it is the lowest, lowest percentage on what gets used on my trip, but that is always in my pack. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see why. Um, it's definitely when you need them, you, you want them. I, I can usually get away with gaiters, um, you know, to keep my pants dry from the wet grass. And then rain stores, I'm usually hunkered in, whether it's with my rain jacket or whether it's in my tent. You know, I'm usually hunkered in for the storm. I'm not hiking through it. But, yeah, I've just gotten away with it over the years. But that's where it's uh, – uh, different preferences, you know, for, for the different places we hunt and the different things we do. But, um, yeah, rain pants, um, I can, I can definitely see a need for them. Yeah. I've, I've managed through whatever circumstances to get caught in rainstorms on my hike-ins. Um, and I don't know this for sure, but that September 15th rifle opener for, for mule deer in region G and H I think that has to be the wettest week in Western Wyoming based on the number of rainstorms and snowstorms that have hit, especially in recent years. Um, you know, and October 1st isn't much different for whatever reason that, that you know, they always seem to, to hit opening days like crazy. And so just, you know, hiking in on the 13th and 14th, I have... I have definitely gotten caught in some rainstorms last year's no exception. I was hiking in and it started raining and I actually got a text on from Ike on my way up. He said, Hey man, hunker down. There could be as much as 10 inches depending on how far North you are. I was like, nice. And so, um, I, I didn't wake up to being fully covered in snow where I was at. I, you know, I got a lot of fog cover and just, uh, like an inch kind of a dusting. Um, but I have gotten caught on the way in and this year I did get a little soaked because I didn't get my pants on, um, or my rain pants on quick enough. Um, I had the storm fronts with me for this trip and so I didn't get them on quick enough. And so I got, got a little wetter than I would have liked, but I was able to hang my timberline pants up the next day next to the fire, dry them out. And then, um, and then just wear those, um, wear those storm fronts all day that day while the pants dried. Cause I could like, this is a funny story. I had the camp set up and I was by myself. And so solo mule deer hunting. And I actually, I actually like solo mule deer hunting quite a bit. And the only place I could glass, I had about five different, like different small basins that I could do. And I really like hunting where I have several different options for glassing. Well, of course, I could only glass one of those small basins because of, of the fog. It just you know, wasn't possible. So I'd quick, every time the fog would clear, I'd quick run out and go glass that one point um, for about an hour, and you know, if at, at best. Then I'd quick run back to my fire where the timber lines are drying and flip them over and make sure they weren't getting burned. So I'm sure I looked pretty ridiculous if anybody was watching, but I had about 100 yards of, yards next to the timber I had to run to to get to my glassing point. So I'm sure it was entertaining if someone was watching. 
Man, that's the essence of backcountry hunting, though, isn't it? Just adapting to the conditions that you get in the situation you're in, you know, that that you have to keep back there and have dry gear. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're forced to, to go back and forth to the to the campfire and make sure your pants are drying out and then still trying to get in some glassing. But, yeah, you just have to adapt to the conditions you get. But that is uh, another case in point of where those rain pants came in handy for you because you were able to dry your one pants out while wearing your rain pants you know where if you were me you would have just been wearing a wet pair of pants trying to glass and get back to the fire and dry them out so that's a good case for rain pants and you know for me pants um i'm a little bit different i really like lightweight pants i i don't like the heavier pants and the timberline's a great design where it does keep your your butt dry and it keeps your knees dry but I feel like I get that extra weight on my pants, and it's almost restrictive on my legs. And so I like a lightweight pair of pants, and then I just layer underneath them with, like, a, mm-hmm. a merino wool or, like, some long johns. And that's kind of my system I run until it gets, like, extremely cold in November. And then I'm I'm almost forced to go to, like, a, a mid-layer pant. But I use the, the Sitka Ascents almost mm-hmm. all the time until I get into later October, November, and then I'll run like their grinder pant, which is their next step up. And they just, Sitka just came out with their new line, this Apex line. And their mm-hmm. Apex pants are just a touch heavier than the than, than the Ascent pants. And I think yeah. those are going to be a really good fit for me too. You know, I was, <laughs> so yesterday, I'm sure you, uh, you saw this, we, you know, we talked about the um, Apex stuff on a couple of Facebook and Instagram Live, and so we were we had to do it in two different places. So Guy actually opened your box of stuff, so he could do it like a demonstration with it. So that'll be shipping um, shipping to you here soon. Um, but that Apex stuff looks nice, like the waffling on it. It looks like a really cool. Um, I don't even know that it's like a mid season option. Like it's, I think it's going to be a almost all around type system. And so it's going to be pretty cool to see that and how quiet it is. So I'm I'm kind of excited to hear how that stuff um, works out. Yeah, I did a, a podcast the other day over at the Sitka office, and they showed it to me where I was able to check it out as well. And yeah, it's um the hoodie is, and I love hoodies. I I'm a sucker for them. I wear them all the time, and whether it's a lightweight hoodie or a heavyweight, well, this is a merino wool, and merino wool is is um, such a great fabric to use, as it just uh it doesn't get as stinky, and it um, still holds its its heat retention yeah. if it gets a little wet from sweat. And so that's what their new Apex line is made out of is merino wool and it seems like it's in between the lightweight hoodie and the heavyweight hoodie but it's going to be the perfect layer that like you said you're going to end up wearing all the time yeah i could i could see myself wearing that hoodie um you know day in day out Um, it's like a the waffling is a is a cool system and then that combination of merino and synthetic you know is is something that um it, it's well thought out with the design and that um, that is something that I will I will thoroughly enjoy myself um, but I'm I'm excited to hear the reports of how guys you know guys use it and and think about using it and so you know the clothing I don't know and this may be just you know just me but I really feel like the last 10 years probably in the last five years in particular the clothing world has evolved radically. Um, for Western hunters, I feel like there was a lot of cool stuff out there for backpackers, but the hunters' needs were so much different 
um, before that. And then all of a sudden you have these, you know, these companies that are pushing the envelope and developing you know, stuff for hunters that's, you know, designed for designed specifically for our needs and purposes. And, you know, to the, the consumer is the winner, you know, because there's there's so much out there that is this good quality stuff that allows you to build a build a system that is is very strong and um, will meet your needs because everyone hunts just a little bit different. And so being able to eat those needs is, is a really cool place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I, that's what I used to use is, is five, 10 years ago, I used all mountaineering gear, no hunting gear because it just wasn't there yet. But the, the way these companies keep evolving it and, and improving their fabrics and fit, they've made lightweight technical mountaineering gear that you could climb mountains with. Yep. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal how that has worked. So you know, I think in our last podcast, we covered boots, um, you know, boots pretty well. And I'm, I'm assuming you're still, I have to admit though, I've gone not all the way to kind of your, you know, like you call them the 10 year hunter style. Um, but I haven't gone all the way there yet, but I've got, um, I found several, like don't, they don't go quite all the way up the ankle. Um, but I still like that single leather piece, but I found a, a midway point where I can lighten up my load there a bit since the last time we recorded talking about boots. Oh man, right on. Good for you. Evolving your system. Yeah, that um it makes a difference hiking, doesn't it? Just having the the lightest weight boots that you can feel comfortable with and get the support to be able to side hill and up and down and and we all have a different line or a different limit of what we can use, but doesn't that make a difference? It does. And you know, it's I think I've talked about this before, but I've got, you know, I broke my left ankle when I was in high school and you know, it doesn't bother me per se, but it's one of those mental things that like, I like having that full piece of leather, you know, like the single leather piece design. And so, you know, this year I'm going to use a Zamberlin, the 960 guide GTX, um, but they're, but the, you know, they don't go as quite far up the calf. So that's going to be pretty, um, pretty cool to use. You know, it lightens it up a little bit, which is a good thing. Um, and then, you know, I've, for scouting, scouting missions, I'll use, you know, the stuff that looks like a little bit more traditional, um, say, you know, like you use the term 10 year runners, looks a little more like that or your traditional like hiking boots. But, you know, in season when it's, you know, when you're going to have that possibility of, um, you know, a lot more wet weather on top of the, um, possibility of packing meat out, I just want a little more ankle support, but that's just, you know, personal preference, probably more mental than anything else. Cause I mean, it's been years since I had that injury, but it's still something that I like to keep in consideration. Well, yeah, and I, I don't blame you. I think a lot of guys need some more support and want more support in their boots, and I also think you get a benefit out of that. When you have more support in your boots, it, it doesn't exhaust your calves as much or your legs. Your yeah. your ankle doesn't have to articulate as much to get you up and downhill, where tenny runners are the lightest weight to go, and I go like a waterproof tennis shoe, and, and I'm actually going to get one from Zamberlin this year, but going to like that mid-height boot and still getting it as – uh, as little a weight as you can or as light a boot as possible, but then also gaining some of that ankle support, it takes yeah. away from fatigue side hillings, and it also takes away from fatigue going up and down those hills. So uh, we're kind of um, – we're both kind of moving um, our scale a little bit towards each other where I like those <laughs> mid-height boots as well. They work really well, and they, they keep you just bone dry. I um, The Zamberlin, uh, I think they're called urine – 
uh, not mm-hmm. urine, but uh, yeah, they spell it with a with a Y E R E N two fifty two, and I really like that boot. I actually um, have been using those for the last year, and I I loved them. Um, they did they did really well. I I thoroughly enjoyed like I thoroughly enjoyed wearing them, um, and I wore them just about you know I. I did two scouting trips with them into mule deer country. And so they, they performed really well and, you know, but I didn't have the, I guess the, the extremely wet weather that to be concerned about either on those trips. So, you know, take that for, you know, purpose built, you know, you want to do the purpose, you know, follow the purpose for what you're, where you're intending to use something for on, you know, speaking of side hills, one of the things that I, I like having too is, when it's really steep side hilling, sometimes you have to cut out your own foothold. So, you know, you're kicking out that spot um, just so you can, so you can continue to move. And so I like having a little harder sole with an aggressive outer edge. That makes a difference for me personally too. Like just from a, again, that purpose built nature. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Some of these, um, tenny runners that you get, they're, they're not, uh, they're not designed for what I'm trying to use them for. And sometimes you don't have the right tread. Like the Vibram soles are really good. But if you don't have a Vibram sole and maybe you went cheap on your waterproof shoe and you go to hike in the snow or something or even wet grass, they get so slick where you can't grab any grip where you end up working yourself harder than if you just had a, a decent pair of boots with, uh, you know, a, a decent sole on them. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, did I lose you there? No, uh, sorry about that. Yeah, we were both trying to talk at the same time. But, um, yeah, and another tip that I picked up, um, I had a couple buddies that came out and hunted with me last year. Um, Both of them kind of got that heel blister going, that heel bite from that stiff boot that is so common with that, that everybody needs this break-in period for their boot. Yeah. Well, I had two different buddies that came out. One was one of my buddies from Hawaii. He had some some older boots that um, had done really well for, mo- for him on a lot of different hunts, but they were kind of wore out, and he yeah. ended up getting his heel all blistered up. And then um, I had another buddy that came out, and he had a new pair of boots, and he blistered his heel, and that can be so painful. And I, I do a good job of beating up my feet in the off season and so i don't really get blisters anymore or anything but sometimes you'll get a hot spot if you're packing in yeah. or a lot of side hilling and uh i was talking to the guys at uh tech New, and so they're coming back out with their first aid gel and they were saying that a blister before it pops you can put that first aid gel on it and it heals that blister by that night you can hardly even tell there's a blister there but just how much it speeds up the healing process that stuff would be so good to have in your backcountry kit Yes, I, I agree. There's, I've used, um, a variety of tech new products on, on hunts and not during hunts. And, you know, it's one of those, it's, I won't call it like a miracle drug, but the marvels of modern science are on full display in some of those situations. And, you know, it's no more of this duct taping <laughs> up your heels. I've, <laughs> I've done that, done that plenty. And so there's plenty of, plenty of cool things out there now that you can, um, you know, fr- from that tech new line that are going to help you. Like, I don't typically worry about, um, <laughs> about getting like all the, you know, like 
poison ivy or poison oak. We don't typically deal with that. But some of these lower, you know, it's actually, there's some of that stuff out here in the West. And that, you know, having that available to you um, is actually a, you know, it's what I'd call a smart decision. Having it in your vehicle, having it in your first aid kit, um, you know, and it weighs next to nothing. Um, but those are things that, you know, can make or break your hunt. And so I've had those. I've had those blisters too. It's, it's no fun, but you know, being able to repair yourself can save a week of, you know, a lot of guys burn a lot of vacation on hunting. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to waste it. Oh, both of my buddies, um, they just gritted their teeth and made it through, but I know it hurt every single step and we went really hard and they would have killed for a bottle of like tech new first aid gel. And the deal is with the first aid gel or, you know, with the, with their poison oak or poison ivy is when you get into that stuff or by the time you have a blister, it's too late. Amazon can't get that stuff to you quick enough. Like you got to have that stuff in your truck, like you say, or in your first aid kit. But I thought that first aid gel would be great for like a backpack first aid kit because if you get any hot spots on your feet or any blisters to put that stuff on and heal twice as quick would would just be uh, a super beneficial for guys i think absolutely i mean the first aid kit i know it gets it gets talked about but it's not you know there's those i'll call them pieces of gear that everybody thinks are sexy you know like your boots and your pack and your clothing and the stuff that everybody can see right away and, and let's be honest a lot of us like when we see somebody at the trailhead, you're looking at what gear do they have? You know, it's a, we've all turned into gear snobs with the internet to some degree. It's kind of funny how that works. Um, but it always amazes me. The guys that have like zero gear at all, I'll see them carrying the biggest deer out. Um, but it's, it's, well, I probably shouldn't, you know, shouldn't even admit that, but it's one of those things. And then, you know, but I used to be that guy and then evolved and realized I wanted comfort too. Um, you know, so, but, it's, it's a lot of comfort level. You know, your gear, your gear doesn't teach you how to, um, it doesn't teach you how to glass, um, but it makes you comfortable so you can. And so, you know, when I used to be that guy that didn't have all, you know, all the you know fancy gear when I first started, you know, in high school or whatever and thought I didn't need it. Well, I might not have needed it, but I certainly wanted it. And I certainly evaluated what everybody else had. And it's a learning curve. And, you know, getting back to the first aid kit thing, that's not something that you just sit at the trailhead and think about a whole lot. Like, okay, I put my first aid kit together when in reality, it's something that should be incredibly important, you know? So this is something to really, really put a lot more focus on because when you don't have something, it can ruin your hunt. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, you said that at the beginning of the podcast, you know, that luck favors the prepared and um, it sure does like being prepared for whatever is going to be thrown at you, whether it's weather um, or tough circumstances or, you know, I, I've had it where I've had uh, rock pikas uh, chew off my string loop on my bow and chew through my rest cord on my bow in the middle of the night. Like, um, how do you prepare for that? Well, you've got a little kid in there and you're able to, to tie mm-hmm. some knots and get it all fixed up so you can continue to hunt but you know that could have ruined my my week vacation that i had planned for hunting these mule deer you know so yeah just being prepared for different circumstances that are going to come your way uh luck favors the prepared i think that's a great saying yeah i i wholeheartedly i wholeheartedly agree and like and you know i i'm a firm believer that you know 
when you when you prepare properly, and this isn't just like physically, I, I know right now there's a lot of guys and, and I used to prescribe to this that, you know, really, 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 really feel like being physically, you know, physically prepared is the most important part of your hunt. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's just one piece of the preparation. Um, your pack out is just one piece, you know, and getting in there and being, you know, being comfortable because of your physical preparedness is, um, is one piece, you know, like being, you know, being in shape is a good thing to do, but being in good shape is not going to teach you how to effectively glass. It's not going to teach you the mental fortitude to stick it out for five days when you're by yourself and nobody else to talk to. Um, it's sure it gives you some discipline and things like that, but you know, it's, it's not going to teach those little, those little things. And, you know, the good gear will make a difference in helping you stay out on those moments. If you're, if you get cold, well, you're not going to want to stay up there. And that's one of the reasons you need the good gear and want to have that. And that's why I think, you know, a lot of guys evolve. Sure. Some of them may, um, you may see guys, you know, like that don't, you know, this hodgepodge of stuff, go kill a big animal. But I guarantee you that changes the more serious they get, the more comfortable they want to be, especially with age, as you realize you're not, uh, you're not Superman and you need, um, you need equipment that's going to allow you to, um, going to allow you to stay there, but that helps you hone your disciplines. Oh, that's, um, I love your explanation of that, Scott. You're so right. Um, you know, all all these are just a, a facet of what it takes to be consistently successful. And and like you say, being in good shape um, doesn't mean that you're you're not going to get wet or cold. Or or being in good shape isn't going to guarantee that you make that shot when you get your chance, or that you're effective glassing. Like there's so many facets that go in to to, to being successful or to to finding success, and you gotta I, th I think you pay attention to all of them as you move on and gear is is a is a big piece of that is having the right gear to be comfortable dry be safe and to stay out there longer and to be more effective and so yeah I, th I think it's why so many of us guys um, research it and think about it and are constantly evolving it because we know what a big difference it makes on a hunt yep it yep. can Having quality gear can be the difference between staying three days or staying five days, seven days, nine days, or whatever it is in that time that you've allotted. But part of it is a trust factor too. You know, when when you spent money on something, it means that you've put your trust in it. It's it's basically an endorsement of yourself personally in what you believe in. And then when you go test it on that first scouting strip, that's your second endorsement. And then your third endorsement is when it actually makes it on the trip with you. The trip that, you know, some of these guys are spending 20 points now in places like Colorado on some of these like, you know, late season hunts. That is not the time to find out that your gear um, is failing you. And, and so, you know, spending the money on it is worth it. Sure. Other, you know, you'll see guys every year, like I said, the hodgepodge or they haven't spent anything. They'll kill something big and they're good hunters. Okay. Let me make no mistake about that. But the comfort level that you get from this high quality gear will make the difference to help you consistently year in, year out, do a good job. And I don't know a single hunter who hasn't evolved over the course of time and wants to buy better gear. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're spot on. Um, it's so fun to sit down and talk here with you, Scott. Um, we've gone for over an hour. 
I think we could easily go for another hour, but um, we we better shut her down for the day. We touched on some really good things. Uh, thanks a bunch, man, for taking the time. Hey, no problem, man. We'll uh, we'll catch up again here soon. Yep, sounds good. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, yeah, fun to have that chat with Scott Reekers and just talk over some different gear systems. I am always looking for the for the perfect system it just makes such a difference when you're when you're backpacking and you're living out of everything in your in your pack and um you just if you need it you can't get it and um yeah but you also have to have this this minimalist mindset or otherwise you're just packing too much weight you can't even make it into the backcountry and so it's such this fine line this balance between uh, having the right stuff having it light enough um, you know, and then having everything you need. So, uh, just, I, I'm in the eternal search for the, for the right gear and the right systems. And it, it's nice to talk to other guys and see what works for them. And, and a lot of times you don't even realize there's a better product out there or a new product out there. And, and, uh, Scott's just always at the forefront of that. Uh, you know, as he, he works with a lot of these companies and, and, uh, sees the new products that they have coming out and, and also runs in in a circle of, of good guys that are good hunters that that are also looking for the best gear. So just a fun conversation with Scott. So thanks to him for being on the podcast. Uh, sponsor for today's show is High Mountain Seasonings. Uh, High Mountain Seasonings, just a great company again, guys. When you're looking to make jerky, pepperoni, when you're looking to make summer sausage or salami, uh, give their kits a try. Uh, they do a, a, a great job, great flavor in them. And then also, you know, check out some of their other products, uh, their their burger seasoning or their steak marinades. Um, they, they got a lot of good stuff out there. I'm going to be trying all this throughout the next year, but um, I, I really enjoy and like their jerky seasonings. I've tried that before. And um, I'd like to get into making my own um, sausage and, and summer sausage and salami. Um, I kind of had it made by a place, you know, I do all my own butchering and I all my own processing. And then once I get it, you know, cubed down and all cleaned up, I'll take it into this place and have them make some summer sausage for me. And, and they do a good job, but it's just like the more hands-on and, and uh, self-sufficient you can be, just the better you feel about it and, and the more... Yeah, the more proud you are of it too, like, uh, giving it to, to friends to try and family to try and, 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 and bringing it to different functions and things. And so, you know, I take a lot of pride in the, in the wild organic meat that I, that I do obtain. Um, but it'd be fun to be involved with a little bit more of the process. I make my own jerky, do my own steaks and roasts and do my own burger. So, I mean, it just seems like the right step that I should be doing my own uh, salami and summer sausage too. But anyways, check them out. Uh, High Mountain Seasonings, just a, a great company. Um, yeah, and with that, like I say, I'm going to get together with the Eastmans here soon, um, three, four weeks or so. And so we'll try to get those guys on a podcast. And um, they're, they're just really fun to hang out with. And I want to try to capture that on the podcast. It like almost if I could uh, record them without them knowing I'm recording them. But uh, they, they do they do really well at relaxing on the podcast and having fun. So I just really enjoy sitting down with them. So I think we'll be traveling. So we'll try to sit down in a motel room here or there and, and, uh, try to get a podcast or two recorded. So looking forward to that. And, and, um, I'm kind of, you know, I'd recorded a bunch of podcasts there and we kind of got them all out to you guys. So I'm really happy. We're putting out some really good information and really happy, um, just at the progression of the podcast and, and, uh, you know, 
my progression as a host, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but uh, I'm just really excited at the growth of this and, and uh, improvement just comes so slow, but it's just to continue to think about it and think of ideas. Man, do I think clear in the mountains, like having bear season upon us right now, like walking around in the mountains. I, I just have these these clear thoughts and these visions about the podcast and about episodes and and where things need to go and so it uh, really clears my head and and um so I'm really enjoying that really enjoying the bear hunt now I'm like two weeks away from going to Hawaii and uh, about ready to jump out of my skin here. I'm so pumped to get over there. Uh, those axis deer, they're just so challenging and thrilling and I, just immersing yourself with a, another species that you've never hunted. Well, I hunted them last year, so I, I know what I'm in for this year, but um, man, and, and judging them and, and just appreciating that, you know, I'm going to be over there during the rut again. And so um, to, to hear them and to watch them. Uh, rut and the behaviors and and then you know the those um you know I, I can't lie just antlers get me really excited and they're such a small deer with such a large antler configuration over their head and so uh, I'm looking for a good 30 inch trophy buck this year and I just can't wait to test my skills out there so that bow is absolutely shooting lights out right now um I'm shooting as good as I've probably ever shot i i just um my, my groups are so tight uh, no flyers um shooting at extreme yardages you know also the close stuff but um I, i'm just walking around with a lot of confidence right now um arrow system figured out like i say i just spent a little bit more time I mean, I set up this bow like I set up every bow, but just a little bit more time messing with things and positions and stabilizers and weights and stabilizers to just just find the the most forgiving setup I can. And and uh, man, I'm pumped. Um, this bow's shooting good. So yeah, I can't wait to to take it to Hawaii, go hang out with those guys and have some laughs. I mean, my stomach will probably hurt by the time I get out of there. Those guys are so fun to hang out with. So uh, yeah, just can't wait. It's gonna be a great trip. Take my family with me. You know, all the girls are really looking forward to it. We've been so busy as a family here, so it'll be nice to, to get everybody a break and uh, let them sit out on the beaches a little bit and, and uh, um, just go have fun. So, uh, yeah, I leave. Um, I think I leave June 1st, and I better check that. I, I definitely don't want to miss my plane. So, uh, But, yeah, really excited for that. Um, hoping I can get a bear down before then. It's been kind of a late season here with the snow. And if I'm being completely honest, God, I've struck out the last few times out, but um, that's just bear hunting. There's just less of them. Just keep looking at good spots. But I did find this new drainage the other day that is just off the hook. Um, I, I didn't see a bear in there, but I'm going back in there. I'll find a bear in there, and I will kill a bear in there in the next handful of years. It, it's adjacent to these drainages I really like, but it almost looks better than those drainages I really like. And it's a little bit of a, a hike to get into, and I've been on that rim before, but I've never like found the master vantage point. And this time I just dove off and lost elevation. I found like this, this cliff face that kind of jetted out. And uh, on top of that thing, man, you can see the world. And uh, I kind of got out there late. Uh, it was an after work spot and, and um, 
and I, I worked a little late and just grabbed my gear and went. And so I only got like the last 45 minutes of light, half an hour of light with that session. And I'm really surprised I didn't turn up a bear, but I will, man. It's the right elevation and, and it's so green and lush right now. Um, so I'm, I'm going to get back in there, just keep hunting these evenings. I got to, I got to do a podcast here tonight. Um, so I, I don't think I can get out, although that podcast is at four o'clock. So an hour, five, five fifteen, finish up, maybe throw out my gear and get out there. So, uh, yeah, I might be out there tonight and then, um, hit it hard this weekend. So today's Thursday. So yeah, I got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or I got to work Friday, but, um, I got the afternoon anyway. So yeah, just really excited. Just fun to be in the mountains and it's fun to know that I could possibly get a stock at Dangerous Game at that Black Bear. I just love doing it, you know, and, and uh, could be a big color phase. or I, I just love being out and, and, and love the opportunity. And like I say, bear hunting can be 99% boredom and 1% pure thrilling excitement. So I'm in search of that 1%, that's for sure. So, all right, I've been rambling long enough. Thanks, you guys, for all the support of the podcast. Um yeah, it, it's really, uh, I, you know, I, I say it every time, but thanks a bunch, you guys. I, I appreciate it from the from the bottom of my heart. It, it means the absolute world to me. Um, so I, I just want to help you guys and support you guys wherever I can. So um, thanks a bunch for all your support. And uh, with that, let's wrap this thing up. I better go get some work done and, and um, get on with my day, get on with my week here. So I'll check in with you guys next week.